thank you for taking the time to listen to the latest message from City Church Preston. We hope that this message is relevant for your life. For more information about church life, please visit our website, citychurchpreston.com. God has really been challenging me just recently about how we respond to God and what we are expecting of God. And maybe, maybe this will help you. We, as, as, as Alicia sung in tongues and, and Andrew interpreted, which was really great, just in my spirit was the, the, sort of, the same thing that Andrew got, phrased probably in a different way. And as, I'm, as I was kind of thinking about it and just listening and letting it soak into my spirit, we need to respond when God speaks to us. And often we don't. We just take on the role of a spectator. But we need to respond because God speaks for us to respond to. And sometimes we think, well, I've got this stuff in my life that I need to deal with and I'm not sure, I feel alone, I feel isolated. You know, what we need to do, I don't know if you've you've ever seen the Lord of the Rings, Um, there's a part in the Mines of Moria, and if you've never seen it, you don't know what I'm talking about, where Gandalf takes his staff and all these uh, goblins are all crowding around him. He takes his staff and he stamps it into the ground and they all flee. And it's quite a neat neat image, really, because the reality is that when Jesus was on the cross, when Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, there are times when Jesus' glory shows through and the demons must flee. The powers of darkness must draw back. And, you know, part of our problem often is that we are trying to stand on our own, and what we need to do is stand next to Jesus. If we actually draw into closeness with him, actually the powers of darkness have to leave us alone. And we need to understand that element of partnership, of getting close to God. And maybe for you this morning, you've got some issues and you're thinking, well, God spoke that, but how do I do this? Let me tell you, the simple, easy way is just draw close to God. And the closer you are to God, the further away the enemy will be. Because he can't stand to be there. And we need to just draw, no, draw close. And sometimes we have a difficulty because we're stood on our own. And we get isolated. And when we're isolated and separated, then all sorts of stuff, we become easy pickings. It's really interesting. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, the Amalekites used to come and attack, but they never once attacked the whole army, the whole camp. They just waited till people got separated who were stragglers or didn't want to camp in the confines of the camp and wanted to camp outside on their own, do their own thing, and they picked them off one by one. And you know, sometimes we make ourselves vulnerable to the enemy because we're not part of that community. We separate ourselves out and we become isolated and we become easy pickings. And we need to be together. We are stronger together. It's part of the Sermons of God's tagline. We are stronger together. You need me, and I need you. And together, we're much better. We're much better. And I wanted to just uh, talk a little bit, just for a few moments, about that whole concept of how do we respond to God? You see, part of us is we're often looking for the miraculous and the spectacular But I think, I I honestly believe that God is calling us to a different level of maturity. So let me me take the children of Israel. Let's let's continue thinking about the children of Israel for a moment. So in in the wilderness, so they've come out of Egypt. God has miraculously pulled them out of Egypt. And they're in the, in the, the journey to the promised land. And 
through a couple of false starts and all the rest of the stuff that went on. But for 40 years, they marched around the wilderness. And the Bible says that in the wilderness, God did some incredible things. He says, first of all, that every day he provided manna from heaven. Heavenly food. They would get out of their tents in the morning and it would be laying on the ground. And it didn't matter how little or how much they picked up, they always had enough. And on the day before the Sabbath, they would collect twice as much and it would last two days. But on the third day, it would be rotten and they'd have to throw it away and take fresh manna. Every other day, it only lasted one day, so they had to get it fresh every day. So the provision of God was there every day, day after day, for 40 years. And they ate manna. And sometimes they got fed up with manna, and bearing in mind there's two million people, God drove in a whole flock of quails, and they ate quails. Sometimes they ran out of water, and they were in a very dry place, and God produced water, fresh water from the rock. He purified springs that were polluted for them. They had incredible provision. The Bible also says that their shoes didn't wear out and their clothes didn't wear out. So for 40 years, their stuff just kept going. Nothing wore out. It also says that the presence of God was present with them day and night. So in the, in the daytime, it was a cl- pillar of cloud that signified God's presence in the community. And it would sit over this place called the tent of meeting where Moses could go and meet with God face to face. The Bible says as a man talks with his friend. And at night, the power, pillar of cloud would change into a pillar of fire. So there's this incredible, graphic, visible, tangible sense of the presence of God with them day in day out week in week out month in month out year in year out 40 years now the interesting thing is they got very blase they used to get fed up with the manna says they used to grind it and grill it curry it did every sort of things with it to try and well I may exaggerate a little but they did all sorts of stuff to try and you know make it a little different But nevertheless, the provision of God was there for them. Now, the interesting thing is, if you look in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 10, it talks about the children of Israel come after 40 years to the river Jordan. And it says they got the priest to take the Ark of the Covenant and step into the river. And the river was in flood and the river parted and separated. And all the two million people walked through into the promised land on dry ground. And it says that they went and they're getting ready to... Uh, take Jericho and then I and then going into the, the promised land. But it says this in verse 11. The day after they, they celebrated the Passover as they got into the promised land over the Jordan, it says the day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. And the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites But that year, they ate the produce of Canaan. And you see, I believe that God comes to us when we are desperate, when we have no hope, and he will bring miracles. But God's intention is not for us to live depending on miracles. I knew that wouldn't get many amens. But it's God's intention. It's not God's intention 
that we live dependent on miracles. Because God's intention is that we live in the promise. The miracles are only there because they were still wandering around the the wilderness. They were still in the desert and they hadn't reached the promised land. But God's intention for us is to not wander in the wilderness, not be wandering in the desert, relying on miracles because we can't do anything. He wants us to move into the promise of God and step fully into all that God has got for us. Now, some people would say, well, ah, well, you've, you've misunderstood because the promised land is a type of heaven. And we only step fully into the promise of God when we get to heaven. Let me tell you, that's wrong. I could wrap it up, but it's just wrong. Because in the promised land, they first of all have to go and have fights and battles. That's not heaven. There were giants in the promised land who did them damage. Don't think that's right. There were armies that came against them that they had to stand up against and fight off to to claim their inheritance. None of those things speak to me about heaven. Heaven is a place where all that is finished and done, but it does speak about stepping into the promise of God right now. It talks about stepping into the promise of what God has got for us and being fully living in the promise. And you see, part of Part of where we can get ourselves to is, is we think we're just going to get by day in, day out, and we're going to struggle on, and we're going to just rely on God to bail us out. But actually, God wants us to step into a level of maturity, and he wants us to step into the promise and live in the promise of God. Live in the benefits. They started to eat from the land of Canaan, and at that point, the cloud and the fire disappeared. The manna stopped. And I'm guessing the shoes started wearing out too. And they had to go find a cow or a whatever, bull or whatever, kill it, get the skin and make some shoes. They had to go find some cotton or some wool or some linen. And they had to weave some cloth and they had to make some new cloths, some new clothes. They had to start to cultivate some, some ground. They had to cultivate some vineyards. Now they stepped into a land that was already, already planted for them. But they had to continue to cultivate them and they had to harvest them. They had to work. It involved some involvement, some commitment, some work, some effort and some maturity. See, up to then, they'd just been wandering. They'd been wandering and they went wherever God took them. And they were just wasting away 40 years until a generation died out. And God sustained them with miracles. But once they got into Canaan, God expected them to start to sustain themselves. So maybe, just maybe, this morning you're thinking, well, these miracles that I've prayed for, that God hasn't done, has God fallen out with me? No, he hasn't. Is God off me? No, he's not. Is God judging me? No, he's not. Actually, God is for you and he's helping you. I remember when our kids were little, when they were really small, uh, we used to tie their shoelaces for them. Amazingly enough, none of my kids have asked me to tie their shoelaces for a long, long time. Now, from tying shoelaces to not tying shoelaces didn't happen overnight. In fact, there was a lot of pain and grief in the middle of that. Because I remember some school mornings, when we're late for school, because we always seem to be late for school, must be genetic, genetic that. So we're late for school and we're teaching the kids to tie their own shoelaces, put their own shoes on and it will be a heck of a lot quicker for me to do it 
but they're not learning anything. They're not growing, they're not developing, they're not maturing. So I stand and I watch them struggle. So my question is, what is it that you're learning right now, and you are, which will take you into a new level of maturity, and you're saying to God, God, why aren't you helping me? What kind of God are you that's not helping me? And God's saying, hey, you need to learn to tie your own shoelaces because actually this is good for you. You need to grow. You need to mature. You need to grow up. Because I want you to not live relying on me to do everything for you. I want to get you to the place where you're mature. Where you grow in maturity. Where you start to step, because of that maturity, into the promise and the favour of God, and you start living an abundant life. Now, with all the promises that God fulfilled for the Israelites in the, in the wilderness, they were still in the wilderness. They were still in the desert. It was still hot, sweaty and dry, and nothing to look at. They had all the, all the blessings of God in terms of provision to keep them alive, but they weren't living. They had all the provision to keep them alive, but they weren't living. Because they weren't living the promise. They weren't living the abundant life. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life. Abundant life. Life to the full. God's not interested in giving us life that just catches us on. Just keeps us going. Just stops us from failing. We're not playing to just get through. We're playing to win. We're playing to step fully into all that God has got for us. So let me read you a couple of scriptures Luke chapter 5, I'll not read the scripture, but you can Luke chapter 5, verses 4 to 7, is where Jesus calls his first disciples. And he calls his disciples, and they've gone fishing. And they've gone fishing, and they've fished all night, and they've caught nothing. And here comes this cocky carpenter, because that's what they must have thought, walking up the path on the side of the beach and says, have you caught anything? They go, no, we haven't. And all their friends are there, all their other fishermen are there, with boats full of fish, I'm guessing, and they've got none. And they're feeling pretty annoyed. And then a carpenter comes and says, well, tell you what, push your boat out and stick your nets out on the other side. And they're going, what? Who are you? Now, it doesn't record that bit in the scriptures, but I'm guessing they probably thought that, even if they didn't say it. Anyway, they did. They put the boats out, they put the nets down, and they got an incredible catch of fish. Miraculous. And out of that, Jesus calls them and says, I'm going to make you into fishers of men. And he calls them to be disciples. Follow me. See what I do, learn to do what I do. And he calls the disciples. Now, if, you're, if you've read your Bible and you know your Bible well, you know that in John 21, after Jesus has been crucified, Peter, he's kind of at a loose end, doesn't know what to do. So he says, Jesus has been raised from the dead. They've heard all the, the accounts, all the stuff's gone on. And Jesus, Peter's still smarting, he's denied Jesus. All this has gone on. And, 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 and he gets to this point where he says, I don't know what to do, I'm going to go fishing. And he goes back to what he knows. And a load of the other guys all come with him. So in John 21, verses 1 to 11, is this whole account of where, Jesus, where, where the disciples go fishing. And they fish all night, and they catch nothing. Have you ever found that sometimes when things don't go how you anticipate, when things don't happen, when you know you can do this stuff, but it doesn't go how you expect, 
that it's not a disaster, but maybe God is setting you up for something bigger. Let me tell you, it's all a setup. It's a setup. We have been set up for glory. And sometimes, instead of fighting God, we need to work with God. But it's really interesting. It says this, that, that, that Jesus comes to the shore and he shouts from the shore, have you caught any fish? And there must have been this kind of resonance in Peter's head going on. Just a minute, I've been here before. Is this a glitch in the matrix or is this deja vu or have I been here before? This is, I've had this conversation. And he's looking across and he's not sure who this guy is on the shore. But he's thinking, I've had this conversation three years ago. And then Jesus says, put you down your nets on the other side. And now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a great fisherman. But I understand in a big lake, like the Sea of Galilee, if you've got a boat floating on the water, it really doesn't matter much what side you put the nets on, does it? You know, work with me. It's, it's, it's not that big a deal. So they take the nets out and they put them down the other side and all of a sudden the nets are starting to break because they've got so much fish in them. Notice what happens. It says that John recognised who Jesus was. He, he clocked, this is Jesus. Raised from the dead, this is Jesus. So he recognised Jesus. The second thing is, it says that Peter responded. It says Peter pulled his cloak on him, jumped into the water and swam to the shore. But it also then says that the rest of the disciples didn't all do the same as Peter. They didn't get the cloaks on and jump in the water and leave the fish in the boats to go and wherever they were going to go. It says the rest of them rowed heavily and they pulled the nets and they pulled the fish and they pulled the boats back to shore and pulled them back on shore. I think there's three steps there we need to understand. If we want to step into the promise of God, we've got to recognise Jesus. And for, for us, we've done that. This morning, we recognise who Jesus is. But it's not enough to just recognise. We need to respond to Jesus. And maybe God's asking you to respond. And maybe this morning, you need to respond to him. Maybe it's about salvation. Maybe it's accepting him as your Lord and Saviour. Maybe for you, it's stepping into out of the, the, the bumping along, relying on miracles to actually say, I'm going to take some responsibility and I want to eat in the land of promise. I want to grow and I want to develop and I want to become all that God is calling me to be instead of just keep messing about, just bouncing around on the bottom all the time. But we need to respond. But the third thing is, and I love this, but nobody ever talks about it, is the other disciples took some responsibility and they brought the boats in. And they brought the fish in. And we need to take some responsibility. We take a responsibility for ourselves and our own lives, but we take a responsibility for one another. We've just done it. We all stood together to say we will be part of helping Rafael and Dagmara bring up Hugo. That's beautiful community. That happens nowhere else. I've been to christenings. Everybody gets legless, goes home and forgets them. We're stone cold sober, but we're going to stand together for a lifetime. Because we made a commitment. Some of you are just thinking, oh my word, I didn't think it was that serious. 
But you see, they recognised, they responded, but they took responsibility. Just like the children of Israel, when they went into the promised land, they took responsibility that brought them into a level of maturity, which meant they didn't need manna every morning. They didn't need miracles of water because they got wells. And they got fields. And instead of just eating manna for 40 years, beautiful as it was, they now are pomegranates, they had grapes, they had melons, they had artichokes, they had onions, they had all sorts of stuff. They could make a brilliant curry, finally. And it's part of maturity because God wants to take us to a better place. Now let me just show you this, I'm going to shut with this, but let, let me show you this. So Jesus brings them to the shore and the disciples bring the boats and they bring the fish that they caught and it says this beautiful beautiful picture it says and Jesus said to them bring some of the fish that you have caught and when they brought it he already had a fire going and he had a pan and he was already cooking fish where did Jesus get the fish from on the side of Galilee. Now, I have some ideas. I suspect there wasn't a fish shop. He didn't go to Morrison's and they had the slab with all the ice and the, and the cut fish and the fishmonger with his white hat on, sharpening his knife and cutting him a couple of fillets. So did he go fishing? I somehow can't imagine Jesus in a boat with a fishing rod. Did he go to the beach? You, you're all looking at me like I'm nuts, but you, you need to think about some of this stuff. Did he go to the beach? And he's the son of God. And with his pan and go, fish, two fish, boom, in there. And they go, straight into the pan. I don't know. I don't know. I'd love to see that video when I get to heaven. But something happened because Jesus has already got some fish and they're on the go. But he says to the disciples, bring the fish that you caught. Now, just a minute. Did they really catch him? There was a bit of miraculous in that, wasn't there? They had the boat, they had the net, they had the skills, but it was only God who put the fish in the nets. Let me tell you, we have the skills, we have the boats, we have the nets, but sometimes it's only God that puts the fish in the nets. God says he's given us ability to get wealth. But it's the ability he gave us. Without God's ability, we're nothing. Without God's gifts, we've got nothing. And we need to recognise that while we think we're all doing it ourselves and aren't we good, actually it's God who's doing it in the background. And we need to honour God. And they, they brought the fish, and they must have felt a bit sort of, well, actually, I'm not sure we actually caught these. I'm not really sure. I can honestly say I caught these with my skills, but you, you kind of did something miraculous here that I'm not quite understanding. But they brought the fish they caught, and they put them with the fish that Jesus had somehow provided, and they cut them together, and they ate breakfast. They ate together. Do you get that picture See, the first time that this miracle happened, it was Jesus saying, I'm going to take you from fishing for fish and I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. This time he's saying, I want you to come and partner with me. There was a divine partnership going on here. You bring your fish, I'll bring my fish. We'll put them in the pan together so nobody can tell the joint. So when they took the fish out cooked and they were eating them, they didn't know whether it was Jesus' fish or their fish, but they were together in their meal. And you know, God is calling us to partner. God is calling us to partner. He has chosen not to save the world by sending angels to stand in the clouds. He's chosen not to save the world by sending great 
you know, signs in the sky and all that sort of stuff. That will come at the end of all times, the Revelation says. But right now, in the day of grace, he's chosen one route and one route only to save the world. Do you know what it is? Well, you're it, and so am I. He's chosen to partner with us. Now, I have to say, I think that's a pretty daft plan. Because I'm not sure we're that good. But, you know, whilst I don't believe in me, God does. And he believes in you. And we need to recognise that God believes in you this morning. Whatever you think about you, God believes in you. In fact, he believes so much in you that he's willing to invest the whole of his future and his purposes on planet Earth in you and me. Now, I'd say that's a bit of a risky move. But God believes in us. But we need to step up to the mark. Don't let's be always looking for those miracles. Instead, let's be people who step into maturity and start to stand on our feet. Start to be partners with God. You can only be a partner when you mature. You can't partner with kids. You can't partner with people who need bailing out all the time. You've got to partner with equals, with people who can stand on their feet, who can contribute something. It's really easy. Jesus didn't come with a massive big pan and say, here's my shark that I caught, you bring your tiddler. He didn't say that. He said, here's some fish I caught, here's bring your fish you caught, and they put them in the pan and the same. You see, Jesus allows himself to be partners with us. And he calls us into partnership this morning. So maybe you've been waiting for some great intervention. Maybe you've been waiting for God to speak to you. Maybe you've been waiting for something to be written on the clouds, some miraculous insight and wisdom and sign. Actually, God's already speaking right in your heart this morning. And he's calling you to not only recognise him, he's calling us to respond to him, but he's calling us to take some responsibility, to step into maturity we may step fully into the promise of God. Are you up for that? Let's pray. Father, we want to bless you this morning because you are working purposes out behind us that we don't even understand, we don't see often, we don't recognise, but just like those disciples where the fish were looking, they were just in the water, they're waiting for the fish, for the net to come down, They're waiting for the net to be in the right place at the right time and for your command and for those fish to just swim and fill that net. And Father, we know that whatever we need, you have got for us. And Father, that's not what we ask this morning, that you will fill our nets. What we're asking is that we will be in the right place, that we will be partnered with you, that we will stand and take the responsibility, respond to what you're asking us to do. And for some of us, it may be jumping in the water and doing something dramatic like Peter did. For some of us, it might be simply rowing the boats. But both were just as important. And we pray this morning that whether we're rowing boats or swimming the breaststroke into the shore, whatever it is, we pray this morning that we will be partners with you. We open ourselves to be partnered with you. We ask, Holy Spirit, will you come and just like Jesus did on that beach with those fish, will you partner in our lives? We pray, Lord, that where we go, where we, the people we speak to, we want to be people who carry your kingdom, because we know we do, that we may bring your kingdom in just a natural, normal, sensible way, that somehow it will just flow from us in those moments that you will give us words to speak, stories to tell, things to just do for people that will bring your kingdom right into their lives in a reality. We want to partner with you this morning. Partners with Jesus to see your purposes fulfilled.
in our world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Expect to be a part of this week. I bless you in the name of Jesus that God will establish opportunities for you. That you will be amazed at what just flows through you. That you'll speak words that will bring life and hope into people's situations that you have no even idea why you said those things. But they're just incredibly powerful and they bring release and relief and life and hope to people around you. Amen? Amen. We're so glad that you've been able to listen to this message. And by connecting in this way, we consider you part of our faith community. If you'd like to keep up to date with all of our upcoming events, submit a request for prayer, or find out more about Jesus Christ, what it means to follow him, then head over to our website, citychurchpreston.com.